Uh, feel free to have a seat. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt. It's great to be with you. We are finally ready to begin our, uh, this series called Deeper. We're going to spend nine or so weeks on this journey talking about emotional health, and I know you're all so excited. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to this. I want to be very clear about a few things up front. One, I'm not a therapist, don't want to be, would be, in fact, the world's worst therapist ever. So uh, <laughs> why are you laughing? Uh, I'm approaching this as, as a pastor, so I want to look at this topic um, throughout the next several weeks through the lens of Scripture and, and really focusing on, on Jesus and what what he has to say or teach us about this. So if you have a Bible, turn me to Matthew 26. I also want to give credit throughout this series. We're drawing a lot from the work of Peter Scazzaro, a pastor, and written a number of books on the intersection between our discipleship to Jesus and our emotional health. So we'll be sharing a lot of that. Basically, I, I rarely have original thoughts is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Hopefully, a lot of you have a, a participant's guide. Um, there's a place in there, I just want to remind you, where you can take notes. And all of this is meant to supplement or complement kind of what we're talking about on Sunday. So you're going to get kind of two different things uh, in, the same, in the same area or topic. All right. Well, it's actually our emotions that drive, in many ways, our, our behaviors uh, the way that we interact in the world. It's, it's how we process pain. It's how we manage um, pressure. And this might be news to you, probably not, but just having people in church for years and years doesn't necessarily make them into better people. Like, apparently, simply reading or knowing a lot about the Bible doesn't automatically make us into more kind, loving Jesus-like people. I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate experience of kind of watching someone, maybe for a long time, in the life of a church, and you'd think by now they'd be a little more like Jesus after all this time, a little more loving, a little more patient, better listeners, or slow to anger. And it's, unfortunately, as I said, not always the case. Peter Scazzaro puts it this way in pretty much all of his books. He says, it is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, your spiritual health will never outpace your emotional health. That spirituality and emotional health are actually linked. It's possible to be seeking spiritual maturity at the very same time ignoring emotional immaturity. And so we actually have to address emotional issues. If we're going to grow in loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, and this is absolutely essential for growing in our life, our relationships with one another. I told this story at our, our deeper kickoff last Sunday night, but I ran into a guy a week and a half ago or so at my daughter's volleyball game, and I'd known him for a long time. He doesn't go here, but he's a believer. He's a part of another church. And he asked, hey, Matt, you have a, a series coming up at church that you're excited about. I immediately was like, yes, we're doing this thing called Deeper, and I'm really looking forward to where we're going next as a church. And then my second thought was, here's kind of a guy's guy, you know, just to stereotype a little bit. Uh, 
how is he going to react when I say the phrase emotional health? And is he going to kind of roll his eyes inside and think this is just more pop psychology or self-help making its way into the church and kind of watering down the message? And so I told him a little bit about some of the topics that we're going to cover. And I felt like he was kind of with me. And then I thought, all right, I'm just going to kind of take a risk. And again, to, to kind of stereotype, I was like, uh, well, actually, drawing from my own experience, I, I, go that, I go, do you ever feel like the only emotion you can really connect with as a guy is anger? And he immediately interrupts me, and he goes, yeah, 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 and you just, you just stuff it down, and you stuff it down. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, apparently, maybe we're, we're on to something here. Um, the image that really captures what we're going to be exploring and starting today, and you've probably seen this before, is the image or the picture of an iceberg. Of course, only like 10% is visible on the surface. The other 90% is under the surface. But in all of our lives, below the surface, hidden to others and often hidden even to ourselves, there are any number of things going on. I mean, you look around this room. And by the way, this is a good-looking bunch of people. You guys look great. And of course, we come in here on Sunday, and we all are kind of putting on our, our best, and you, you interact with people dropping off your kids downstairs, and you chat with people in the lobby, and we're all putting our best foot forward. You just look around, and it seems like everybody pretty much has everything together. The thing is... We actually don't see most of what's beneath the surface in each other's lives. You get to know people and you find, well, first of all, everybody's great until you get to know them. You learn, <laughs> okay, you learn that there are all kinds of things going on beneath the surface in, in each other's lives. The truth is there's suffering there are things that you're wrestling through that I can't see or know unless you tell me. Not all, this is, not all of this is bad. There are joys and hopes and longings that we carry with us. Um, the late Dag Hammarskjöld, he was the former head of the UN, he said that we've all become adept, or we have become adept at exploring outer space, you know, as a culture, as a people, but we have not developed similar skills in exploring our own personal inner spaces. He wrote, the longest journey of any person is the journey inward. Now, the Bible, over and over again, challenges us to examine these things, um, to pay attention to what's inside of us. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus talks about the same thing. This idea that everything that we do, everything that we say, including how we react to what other people say or do to us, it all actually comes from our hearts, from deep within us. And here's the problem. What if we, we aren't always aware of what's in us? Well, that stuff eventually comes out, and it affects not just ourselves, but the people around us. So the idea is this, that, that there are things that you are wrestling with that are emotional or difficult. Um, there are things that perhaps you're doing that maybe you, you don't even know you're doing. 
And we all have kind of ways of explaining our behavior or sometimes excusing it because we got to kind of make sense of things. And how are we supposed to guard our hearts when we've been, our hearts have been damaged and you've been hurt? And so now you kind of read a lot of scenarios. You read present day interactions through the lens of this past thing that, that happened. All of this work requires really honest, truthful examination. Jesus, who is our model for living well, Jesus was fully human, which means he experienced the full range of human emotion. And Jesus was able to express his emotion unashamed with unembarrassed freedom. He didn't ignore or kind of stuff that stuff down. He didn't project it, his feelings, onto other people. Instead, we see Jesus responsibly experiencing the full range of human emotion. In today's language, we would say Jesus is like the most emotionally intelligent person who ever lived. We see examples of him expressing emotion all throughout the Gospels. He shed tears. Several times, Jesus weeps openly. He was filled with joy. He grieved he was angry. He was furious at the crass commercialism in the temple. He expressed an emotional longing to be with the 12 apostles. Sadness came over him. He felt compassion for others. He showed astonishment and wonder. He felt distress. In other words, Jesus was an emotional person. A lot of us think of Jesus almost like an alien, like a Spock, if you're old enough, a Spock-type character like flat, always calm, almost, almost stoic. Even God is an emotional being. We, created in his image, are deeply emotional. To be human is to feel. By the way, this comes up always in sci-fi, in like books and movies. Like the difference between a human and like a robot or machine or AI or whatever, it's always the same. A human being feels. That's why there's always a person in these movies that ends up saying, you robot, you don't feel anything. Yeah. Jesus experienced the full bandwidth of human emotion, which brings us back to us. We all have emotional pain. Most of us have no clue how to deal with it. You have possibly even the majority of people running away from any and all pain. Now, historically, there are basically three options for dealing with pain, and I'm borrowing this framework from another pastor named John Mark Comer, but three sort of worldviews, three solutions, kind of broadly speaking, for dealing with pain. The first is Eastern spirituality. Uh, think of Buddhism. Buddhism, as I understand it, is actually less of a religion and more of a way of life or a philosophy. Um, God in Buddhism is not even really a person. And there's actually a bunch of good stuff in many Eastern religions. A lot of it is right in line with the Sermon on the Mount, with many of Jesus' teachings. And so I will be the first to affirm what I can affirm in, in other religions or worldviews. The Apostle Paul was like a master of this. He did that all the time. My primary issue with, say, Buddhism, besides its take on God, is its take on evil. The Buddha said that all suffering 
including like all emotional pain. Well, first of all, pain is an illusion, but all of it is a byproduct of desire or attachment. And again, there's probably some truth in there. You could kind of tie that to some things that Jesus teaches. But here's where Jesus differs. The Buddha said, therefore, the way we deal with emotional pain, because it's an illusion, the way we deal with it is we detach from all desire. So think like Jedi Knightish in a lot of ways. No attachment. Let go. Transcend. Rise above your desires and your attachments. So the mantra is, you detach. Along comes Western spirituality. I'm thinking Christianity. And the undercurrent of our faith is that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Like the the kingdom of God is present and coming. We can now call God Father. We have the Holy Spirit. We have access to his presence 24-7. Whatever we face now because of all this, we know what's coming resurrection, the healing of creation and the cosmos, the, the healing of our bodies. Now, is, is all of that true? Yes. Yeah, that's why we call it good news. It, it's true. But where Christianity gets distorted and kind of goes off track is when it says, because of all of this great eternal hope that we have, that means when you're sad, when you're down, Just tell your emotions to take a hike. Is there a time and place to tell your emotions to get lost? Probably a a time and place for that, yes. The problem, though, is what happens when you preach your little sermon to your soul and you tell your emotions to get out of here and they give you the middle finger? Does that ever happen to anybody else? Yeah, and then you add to that the fact that the church in the first few centuries was really heavily influenced by Greek and Roman philosophy, particularly that of Plato who taught that the body is bad, material is bad, only the spirit is good. You apply that thinking to Christianity, and that means that any aspect of our humanity that is not spiritual is suspect at best, including our emotions. The subtle message is this, that to be human, to be emotional is somehow sinful or at the very least less than spiritual. So unfortunately, the default setting of Western spirituality, including a lot of the church, is denial. Just fake it. Just push that difficult stuff out. Keep going, you know, move on. Don't deal with it. In fact, Shutting out emotions gets elevated almost to a, to a kind of virtue. And so we end up, de- you know, denying anger or ignoring pain or skipping over depressing, running from loneliness, avoiding doubts, denying sexuality. It all has become kind of an acceptable way of working out our spiritual lives, which then entirely limits God's work in our lives to the realm of the spiritual, to basically you know, prayer and Bible study, and I'll maybe put on my favorite worship album. The problem is we are far more than just than spiritual beings. Um, The third option is is that of secularism. This is like the anti-spirituality. And this worldview says, yeah, suffering is real. It exists. But there's not much we can do about it. Just how it is. 
And so the only thing you can really do is escape it. Distract yourself. Drugs, alcohol, education leading hopefully to a better career that pays more money. Shopping, romance, sex, music, hobbies, entertainment. This view says, "Uh uh-oh, here comes some emotional pain. Quick, distract yourself. And so the Eastern worldview says, detach. Western spirituality, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times Christianity, as a distorted version, says, deny it or fake it. Secularism says, go out to eat, right? Or there's sex, or there's, I'll buy something. Whatever I do, I just, I just need to stay busy. The common denominator between all three of these options is they're all running away from emotional pain. They don't know how to deal with it. Maybe you can plot yourself up here in these options. If you're like me at all, I relate to, I actually relate to parts of all three of these, depending on uh, the situation. In Jesus, we actually see a better way. Matthew 26, verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is as dramatic of language as you can come up with. This word overwhelmed in Greek, it literally means it's crushing Like, this is crushing the life out of me. It could be translated. Um, He's being pushed to his absolute limit. But here we see a a Jesus who's fully human. He's emotionally depressed. He's mentally confused. He's, He's spiritually overwhelmed. He says to his disciples, stay here and keep watch with me. Which, by the way, what does that say about the importance of community? he's troubled. Things are not well. Uh, He's upset. He's right in the middle of all this pain. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Maybe hearing some frustration right in there. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Notice, Jesus does not have a Zen moment here. He doesn't detach and kind of say flatly, It doesn't really matter if I live or if I die. Pain is merely an illusion. That'd be the Eastern option. He doesn't put on his favorite worship album and say, rejoice in the, in the Lord always. The world, after all, is not my home. I'm just passing through. It's fine. That'd be the, often the Christian distorted option. Nor does he say, hey, guys, this is my last night. Let's hit the town. Yeah, we might as well go out with a bang. That'd be the secular view. No. Jesus deals with his emotions and his feelings. He goes to the place of pain and sits there. The reason this is important is because in the church, we're pretty good at teaching like the spiritual stuff, I hope, 
like how to pray, how to grow in our faith, how to study scripture. But teach people how to feel and feel well, specifically how to navigate emotional pain. Not so much. No wonder we can be Christians for a really long time and yet still be emotionally or relationally unhealthy. Yeah, we're involved. We show up. We serve. We give. We may even pastor a church, hypothetically. But we don't know how to deal with this stuff. Or worse, we, this is common, we kind of excuse this kind of behavior, this immaturity. It's like, oh, well, they love Jesus. They're just, they're just angry. What? What? They love Jesus. They're just like a little bit passive aggressive or pushy. They love Jesus. They just have baggage from 20 or 30 years ago they haven't dealt with. They love Jesus. They just don't know how to have healthy conflict or fill in the blank with whatever it is. Jesus was emotionally mature and healthy. We're his disciples, which means he's our example. He's our model for what it looks like to live well in all these dimensions. If you're not emotionally mature, you're actually not mature at all. Because, again, discipleship to Jesus is not just about the spiritual life. It's actually about the presence of God. It's about the spirit of Jesus seeping into and changing and transforming every fiber of our being until we become more and more like Jesus. Jesus doesn't just want to teach you how to read the Bible and pray, and that's it. He actually wants to reteach us how to be more fully human in every dimension, your job, your finances, your sexuality, relationships, conflict, family of origin, your intellectual life, all of it, all of it. He wants to remake us into who God made us to be all along. Emotional health, by the way, doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. How you doing? I'm emotionally healthy. Sometimes the emotionally mature response is sorrow. So again, what can we learn from Jesus? Number one, Jesus, we see this a lot, is aware of his feelings. He's aware. He actually knows what's going on inside of him. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In contrast to Jesus, many Christians are essentially emotionally numb. And I know the stereotype often is that it's just men who struggle with this, and that is, is true a lot, hence the stereotype. Uh, but that said, um, it could also be women to rely on another stereotype. The amount of words that a person uses doesn't necessarily reflect. It's not always directly linked to one's emotional awareness. Many of us have little to no awareness of our feelings. When I first started kind of digging into this, and it, it's been a, kind of a several years process or whatever, but my counselor actually pointed out um, that when he asked me to describe how I was feeling, what I would do is I would say, I feel, and then it would be followed by some statement of fact or, how I, or a thought that I have. And so like, I feel like it's hot outside. I feel like this is really super incredibly dumb, okay? Those are, those are not actually feelings, right? 
Many of us, again, our, our emotions are like in a deep freeze. And what's interesting is our body language, our tone of voice, our facial expressions, all of those things indicate that emotions are, in fact, present. Oh, they're in there, right? But we're not often aware enough to identify them. We've been heavily influenced by Descartes' maxim, I think, therefore I am, a lot of us. Our lives are like an iceberg. The majority of who we are is often hidden deep beneath the surface. And so understanding the inner world of our feelings, our, our, our emotions, our hopes, our dreams, it's complex and it takes, it takes hard work. This work takes time. It takes a lot of time. I think one of the challenges here for a lot of us, or for all of us, is that we have all inherited ways of thinking about this, ways of being from our, from our family. And we got a lot of good stuff, hopefully, and maybe some stuff we're working on. But we were shaped. We were kind of, things were solidified us in us in this area from a very young age. And so it's helpful to stop and ask, for example, what was the emotional climate in your home when you were growing up? How were emotions expressed in your family? How were these things modeled? Maybe for you, you had a parent who, when they came home, if they were stressed or overwhelmed, they just, they just checked out. Like, they're not, they're not really there. Maybe you had the opposite. You had a parent who just exploded and just shrapnel flying all over your house. What messages did you receive as a child about uh, being a boy or girl, a man or woman? And I'm thinking especially in terms of what you were taught or what you picked up on about what it looks like for you to express emotion. Maybe you picked up on the message that, you know, men don't cry or the subtle message of toughen up, or don't be so dramatic. We, we pick up on these things, and they shape us for the rest of our lives. When I was six years old, I, ha- I got a dirt bike. I was so pumped about it. Um, I, was, I was young, and the, I'd wanted one my whole life for all six years. <laughs> and uh, I got it, and um, it, ha- it was a two-stroke with a clutch, so it just means there was a lot going on for a six-year-old. And it was a little bit big for me, and I was, frankly, I was scared of it. And it just made me nervous to actually ride it. And so I remember one day we're at a big family thing, and I was out there, and I had it leaned up against a tree, and I was just washing it and washing it and washing it and, you know, shining it up. And a family member walked by and said, well, you going to ride it, or are you going to be a pansy? And I... I didn't have the ability at six years old to say, I, I'm grateful and I love this. I just, I'm intimidated. But that message, you know, you could feel it just then. Like, that feels kind of real to him. Yeah, made its way and kind of shaped how I view expressing emotions or, or fears or whatever it is. Were there any emotions that were not okay to express? All of this has a profound impact on how we process this stuff today. Emotionally healthy disciples take a hard look inside their hearts, and we're asking, what's going on in here that Jesus wants to change? I mean, to truly love God with our heart and soul and mind means that not just that we know God, but we actually know our interior. We know what's going on at the level of our heart, soul, and mind. By the way, this is not work that we do on our own. 
First of all, we invite the Holy Spirit to meet us in these emotions. We invite God to bring to our awareness, to begin transforming these layers beneath the surface that are keeping us from becoming more like Him. For, I think for a lot of us, a really simple starting point is an exercise is uh, to help us begin paying attention to our emotions is to actually pay attention to your body. I don't know if you know this, but you have a body. Um, I had years ago a counselor say, what's going on in your body? What do you, what's going on in your body right now? Pay attention. It's like, what are you talking about? What's that have to do with anything? But our, our bodies are smart. They kind of know what's going on sometimes before we do. A knot in your stomach. Um, Palms are sweaty, neck tightening, foot tapping, insomnia. These are all clues. And again, because we've been taught over time to value the spiritual above the physical, we end up discounting our bodies as like a sacred space where God wants to meet us. And so it's asking, what, what clues am I getting here about what, what's my body telling me about what I'm feeling? So that's a big step in the right direction. Another practice is to regularly pause um, to listen to Jesus. Um, you might be surprised what he reveals about like your iceberg. I literally start my day, my time with God in, on most days with two pretty simple things. One is just gratitude. So I'll journal a few things that I'm grateful for right out of the gate. And then the, the second thing that I almost always do is just stop and ask, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? And again, you have, I'm going to stop joking about this at some point, but I'm, but I'm serious. You picked up on the fact that I'm not an expert in this. Like, I don't have all this kind of dialed in. I need help. Um, this used to take real effort to identify how I'm feeling. It still takes work. It's getting a little bit easier. Uh, I actually have this, like, this, like, cheat sheet, which is a chart of feelings, and I guess it's all the options, but uh, <laughs> it's not on here. I don't know. Uh, and it just helps. You kind of start in the middle and work your way out and I have one on my phone in case I don't have this just to help give me a starting point and language for, for how I'm feeling. Jesus was aware of his emotions. Uh, two, there's the chart. Jesus gives God his feelings. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. He tells God and his community how he feels. By the way, all, all this is is the beginning of prayer. It's just, it's prayer. I mean, you see this all throughout the Psalms. They express a wide, wide range of human emotion. There's anger, and some of them are violent even. Many are dark. Many express a lack of trust in God or even blaming God. I mean, every emotion you could imagine, which tells me that God is not nearly as scared of honesty as we are. I mean, it's kind of silly because God sees us as we are, and we end up hiding from him or from others or especially ourselves. We're so scared that if we look under the bed, I mean, it's just like, what kinds of monsters are we going to find under there? But prayer is a safe place to bring all that we are to God, to recognize we're already naked in front of him. We might as well go ahead and like talk about it. It's a place to bring our emotions. Jesus tells God how he feels. You know, we've been taught to expect God to speak 
hopefully, but to speak to our minds, and he can and does do that. I have just found that God's voice is a lot clearer and actually more consistent when I invite him into this, to the inner world of of my feelings. Our emotions are a doorway to prayer, an opportunity to listen to God. And so I might come to God and say, God, I'm feeling angry, because again, that's an easy one for me. And just to bring that to God and, and to allow God to say, well, what's that about? Or what's going on maybe beneath that? And I say, thank you for asking. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I think that I've been hurt. Like this, there's a, a hurt there, which is hard for me to say because that feels, now I'm, I'm not just getting justice. Now I got to like say I'm, I'm kind of like vulnerable. And then to hear God say, and it's kind of this, to hear God say, well, do you think that person, um, do you think that person meant to hurt you? Like they did it on purpose to get you. No, no, I don't, I don't, probably not. I don't think it was on purpose. And then to hear God say, do you think that maybe so-and-so, that they did that unintentionally out of their own pain? Yeah, probably. And that doesn't make it all go away. It doesn't fix everything. But do you see how I started out with, I want to make this person pay? And then I go through this whole thing, and suddenly I end up at a place of compassion, (laughs) And it puts you in a totally different frame of mind. God wants to meet us in our emotion. Uh, Dan Allender and Tremper Longman III, what a name, say this. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, We often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We're frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Jesus gives God his emotion. Third, and this is where it starts to get interesting, Jesus gives God his desires. Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. That's an ancient metaphor, the cup, for Jesus's, it's for suffering, for his impending death on the cross. And Jesus just goes, he goes, I don't want to do it. Here's what I desire, another way. Um, Which is interesting because, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the cross was kind of like his whole deal. That was kind of like the whole point of all of it. And you realize he could have just kept this desire to himself out of shame or embarrassment. I'm not going to tell God I desire something else. That's, you know, that's embarrassing or, or how pathetic or whatever. It's really helped me, and this is why this is important, at least helpful for me, It's helped me to basically recognize my emotions are byproducts of my desires. I mean, you think about it this way, the stuff we worry about, the stuff we were excited about or the things we get sad over, um, it's all linked to stuff that we want or desire or don't want or don't desire. If you didn't desire anything, if you had no desire, 
you'd have very few emotions. Let me just save some of you some time uh, to then say, all right, well, I just won't desire anything. That way I never have to feel anger or sadness or disappointment or whatever. Um, I'll just be a stoic. I'll just kind of detach and be kind of like a robot. It doesn't work. I've tried that. It doesn't work, right? Because we're human. And the other thing about going that route is it cuts both ways. You might be able to detach or deny some negative feeling um, to avoid some pain, but you also miss out on joy in the process. You might be able to kind of flatten out the valleys, but at the same time you do that, you're also diminishing the peaks. Um, so you've narrowed your bandwidth. So we ask God by his spirit to meet us in our desires. I think it's really helpful to stop and just to ask when we're feeling a strong emotion, to ask ourselves and to ask God, God, what's behind this emotion? What is it that I want, that I desire, that's kind of amping me up or whatever it is? James 4.1 says, and I love this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? See, this is, this is right here in the Bible, what I'm telling you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. Why are you fighting and quarreling and on the verge of killing each other? Because uh, apparently I want things. And I have desire things that I'm not getting, some that I think I deserve. Why are you fighting, quarreling? Because I'm not getting what I want. That's kind of freeing, isn't it? Next time you're in a conflict with someone, what's wrong? I'm, I'm not getting what I want. You should try that. I don't know. Let me know how it goes. Uh, and, and the context here is, is from this other person. I mean, this describes pretty much all the conflict that we have with others. And by the way, that's not meant to say, that doesn't mean that what you desire is bad. It could very well be good. It may even be something you actually need. I just find it puts me in a different gear altogether. If I can identify what I'm feeling and then what's the desire behind it. Here's the question that I've memorized and say to myself all the time. What is it I'm trying to protect, create, avoid, or provide? What does, it speaks to desire, doesn't it? Why, when that person critiqued me, why did I suddenly feel so incredibly defensive? Well, I'm trying to protect my sense of value. I'm trying to avoid being wrong or avoid being misunderstood. Why, why did that situation, why did that make me so angry? Because uh, I'm Irish. Oh, that's not on here. Because I'm a person of justice. Also not on here. I don't know, because th there's something that I want that I'm not getting. Why, when I get around certain people, do I kind of shrink and diminish and I'm not really fully me? Maybe I'm trying to avoid rejection. Maybe I'm trying to create acceptance, which is a fundamental, that's actually a good desire. We all have that. Why, when I'm stressed or sad, do I run to my go-to for escape? Trying to avoid pain or on and on. Jesus gives God his desires. The key is to bring all of it to him. All of our deepest desires, not just the good. And what I do out of emotional immaturity is I filter 
Does anybody else filter your desires before God? I have good ones. I have bad ones. I have ones. I don't even know if they're good or bad. But I take the good ones, like I want to be a person of integrity or I want to be a good dad, and I say, here, God, have, my, have this desire. Do something with this. Then I take the ones that are, that are bad, like I desire to be filthy rich. Or I want people not just to like me, but be impressed by me. And I take those, and sometimes I repent. Sometimes I feel guilty. Most of the time, I just push them out. I just ignore them and move on. And then there are the ambiguous desires that I don't know, and they're just kind of swirling around in my head. With Jesus, there's no filter. He just says, here, I don't want to go to the cross. But that's why you're here. Yeah, is there another way? He gives God his desires, even the ones that if he acted on would be, would be bad. Do you know how huge this could be for you? What if you just gave God all of your desires? Someone hurt you. You hate them. You want justice. You want retribution. What would it look like to invite God into that God? I give you my resentment. I give you my jealousy. Or how about this? God, I'm tired. It's late. I'm stressed. I'm lonely. Really want to look at porn. What would it look like to invite God into that desire versus hiding or, or being ashamed? Perhaps it's an area of insecurity. You want so badly for people to think that you're, you're this or that, but you know you're not. What would it look like to bring God into that? That's what we see in Jesus. He tells God how he feels. He gives God his desires, no filters. This could be really big for a lot of us. God wants to meet you in your desires, which, by the way, is real life. It's where we live. And so it means taking your desires that you know are good and saying, here, here they are. This is what I desire. God, would you bring these things to life? It's taking your desires that are evil or not as good and saying, God, here's what I want. God, please help these desires to die a good death. And then all the ones that are in between, somewhere in the middle, God, would you reshape and change and recenter these desires around you? Finally, Jesus gives God his trust. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Underneath the, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want the suffering. I don't want death. I don't want alienation. Underneath all of that, Jesus' deepest desire was for God's will to be done. Your deepest desire, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit. It, that's, true for, that's true for you as well. We want God's will to be done. Remember that your strongest desire, your strongest desire and your deepest desire, not always the same thing. What I want right now in this moment versus what I really most deeply want, sometimes completely different things. So we give God our desires and we give him our trust. Um, this is really important. The point of all of this is not simply that we would have a lot more um, self-absorbed introspection that would lead us down the road to narcissism or whatever. Wow, isn't my own belly button fascinating? Escazero puts it, the, the ultimate purpose 
of looking beneath the surface and doing this work around emotional health. The ultimate purpose is to allow the gospel to transform all of you, both above and below the iceberg. The end result is that we'll better love God and others. Without doing the work of becoming aware of your feelings and actions, along with their impact on others, it is scarcely possible to enter deeply into the life experiences of other people. How can you enter someone else's world when you have not entered your own? The call is for you to meet God in your emotions, whatever they are, so that you could actually love him more fully, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people better around you. So maybe you're hearing all this today and all this stuff about pain and about difficulty. And maybe you come in here and for you, turns out things are actually going great right now. And you're thriving. And you, relationships are going great. And you, you just landed your dream job. It's all fantastic. If that's you, those emotions of, of gratitude, of hope, and of excitement are actually a place to meet with God. Say, God, I'm so thankful. This is all from you. And just to allow that to lead you to worship. Maybe you're here, though, and you're in a place of emotional pain. It's been rough. Maybe in spite of that, you're, you're doing like the Buddha, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. When really what we're doing is just not dealing with it. And so, again, for you, those emotions are places to meet with God. What if all of our feelings and all of our desires are a place to meet with him, that God's there actually waiting for us. Again, a lot of us don't think that way. When it comes to pain or emotions, sometimes all we want to do is run away, escape, deny, fake it, detach, instead of doing what Jesus did, which is to take a seat, to listen, and to interact with the God who made us. Bring God your emotions. Bring him your desires and see what happens. And hopefully, we can bring God our trust as well. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Um, Jesus, thank you for modeling for us um, in such a beautiful way, what it means to be fully human. Fully in touch with um, our emotions, our inner world. Um, I pray that you would help us to become more like you in this. Lord, help all of us in the, in the coming weeks to grow in our, our awareness so that we could love you more with our heart, our soul, our mind, all of who we are. I pray that you would help us to, and maybe some of us for the first time, to consider bringing our emotions and our desires to you, that that is actually a place you want to meet with us in. Help us to have the courage to do that. Lord, again, I, we just ask over uh, this week and over the coming weeks that, that you would show us our next steps that as we, as we grow in these areas, that it would actually enable us to not just love you more, but to love the people around us better because we're coming from a different place. Help us to hear your voice. Help us this week to make time 
to listen to you, to bring our feelings, our emotions, what's inside of us. May we find you there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks everybody for being here. It was great uh, worshiping together this morning. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.